try not to give everybody my cold. <laughs> right, good morning. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Great. So, as always, it is a privilege to stand here and talk about our God and our Lord. I always remind myself of that because I get very nervous. Today's message is based on Isaiah 40, 31, where it says, they will soar on wings like eagles. I love the imagery, the poetry, and especially the hope that the word of God portrays, even amid the stories of tragedy, pain, and suffering. And let's be honest, if we live long enough, we all experience sadness, pain, and tragedy. And if a person doesn't, it must be because they are unable to experience love. And that, in itself, is a tragedy. But this is not God's plan. Sadly, we live in a fallen world. But in Isaiah, we are told they will soar on wings like eagles. What's significant about eagles? Well, they are strong, powerful, have amazingly good vision, and they soar higher than most other birds. Have you ever watched an eagle soar? It's so effortless. They rise and fall and turn on the air currents. There is no mad flapping of wings just a gentle gliding. We too, we are told, can soar like eagles. No matter what is going on in our lives, we can rise on the currents of God's love and soar with a lightness and a freedom. The pain and tragedy <clears throat> will still exist, but hope can carry us to the heights. We can let these words burn into our souls until we are carried by our faith and trust in God and his goodness. So how do we learn to soar? Isaiah 40 tells us this. Those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. When we wait on the Lord and seek his face, his abiding presence lifts us, encourages us, and gives us renewed strength. When we focus our eyes on the Lord and not on our circumstances, we are lifted above them, and we can hold on to the promises that God has made to us. The key is to seek him, to wait on him, to listen intently for his voice. And as we draw close to God, he will draw close to us. We need to put our whole faith in him and not look around us at our circumstance or what is happening in the world around us. And sometimes life is so tough, we have to ask God for the strength and courage even to make it through that day. I know, I've been there. So what is the definition of faith? The Bible says it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
The dictionary says, it's complete confidence and trust in something or someone. We all live by trust. When I walk over a bridge, I trust that it won't fall down. When I go at a green traffic light, I trust that others on the road will follow the rules. Although sometimes that can be a little more dodgy. And there are people in our lives that we trust, but they can let us down. God, however, will never let us down. So what a courage. Joshua 1.9 says, Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The dictionary says it is something that a person is able to do, even though they are afraid. It's also the ability to find strength in times of pain or grief. At different times in our lives, we will have to find courage. My little grandson described it beautifully the other day. He's five years old and has has recently started swimming lessons, and I've been taking him. The first week, he was really nervous. He had to put water on his face, get a watering can and pour water over his head. He didn't like it very much. But he went home, and he practised all week in the bath. And we explained to him that he could trust the swimming instructor, and he wouldn't come to any harm. So week two, he goes in, has a good lesson, builds his confidence. Week three, before he got in the water for his third lesson, he said to me, Nana, I am going to do everything the swimming lady asks, even if I am a bit scared. He trusted his mum, so he trusted the swimming instructor and found bravery and courage. And that made me think... Courage is when we do something, even though we are fearful. A wonderful example of this was given to us by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed for the cup to be taken away from him. And yet he trusted his father and found the courage to say, your will, not mine. I can't skirt over this. We are told, Jesus said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He was deeply distressed and troubled. He fell to the ground to pray. This wasn't a gentle kneeling, but a falling to the ground. In Luke, we are told, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like blood falling to the ground. Whenever I read that, I'm amazed. Have you ever imagined yourself in that position? Jesus would have witnessed many crucifixions and seen the excruciating death that was awaiting him. And yet he went willingly. I think when you've been a Christian a long time, the phrase, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, can almost feel easy. It is certainly easy for us to say without remembering the depths of despair at that time or the agony of the cross. And yet he went willingly because he trusted the Father and was ready to fulfil his destiny. He went to the cross because he loved us.
And what of the three disciples he took with him? He asked them to stay and pray. Three times he returned to find them asleep. I wonder, how good are we at being watchmen in this generation? Just a thought. I find it intriguing that when Jesus asked the disciples to watch and pray at a very significant time in his life, they all fell asleep. And yet in the story of Jesus walking on the water, they did exactly what he asked. I'm reading from Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. As far as we know, they didn't say, it's okay, Jesus, we'll wait for you, or let us know when you are ready, we'll come back for you. That's probably what my reaction would have been. No, they just got in the boat, obeyed what he had said, and they went. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside to pray to himself, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth night watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Peter's reaction is very impulsive. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, says Jesus. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he looked away, he saw the wind. He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. If you've been in church as long as I have, you undoubtedly have heard sermons preached on this passage of scripture. The focus is usually on Peter's reaction. There he is, walking on the water, focusing on Jesus, and as soon as he looks away and sees the waves and the wind, he starts to sink. Jesus explains to Peter that it was his unsustained faith, or to put it another way, his doubt that caused him to sink. And it's the same for us. Things start, when things start to go wrong, we take our eyes off Jesus. Oh, hang on. And it's the same for us. Things start to go wrong when we take our eyes off Jesus, because doubt can set in. We can also take comfort that as soon as Peter cries, Lord, save me, Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and saves him. And Jesus will do the same for us when we are drowning in a situation that is dragging us down. 
I want to draw out two points, two other points from this. I find it intriguing that when Jesus told them to go on ahead, they proceeded to take the boat out. I wonder if they had that discussion about whether they should wait for him. But it seems they had no problem following his instructions to the letter. But in the previous reading, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus tells them to watch and pray, they fall asleep. I wonder if we can see parallels in our own lives. Sometimes we find it easier to do something practical than to watch and pray. And secondly, we can sometimes be very enthusiastic, like Peter, about getting out of the boat or starting a project, for example. But it takes real focus on Jesus, resourcefulness and perseverance to, as Paul puts it, finish the race laid out before us. And thirdly, and I said there were two points, there seem to be three. Thirdly, isn't it interesting that Jesus' response to Peter's enthusiasm was to say, come, you can do it, you can walk on water, but to what purpose? What was Peter's motivation? He saw something amazing and also wanted to do it, even though it would have no intrinsic purpose. But Jesus used his enthusiasm to teach Peter and all of us something very powerful. If you step out of the boat, never take your eyes off Jesus. But if Jesus says, come, step out of the boat to us, how sad would it be if we were too afraid to take that first step? Another story that has always impressed me is the way Stephen died. In Acts 6, 8, we read, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. But he upset the men in the Sanhedrin, so he was arrested, but continued to speak the truth, saying, There was Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. They were furious. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and said, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When they heard this, they dragged Stephen out and began to stone him. Verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's focus, the whole time he was being stoned, it seems, was on Jesus, not on what was happening to him. And this resulted in a peaceful, falling asleep kind of death. When we hold on to the promises of Jesus and focus our attention on him, 
The world come tumbling down around us, but we feel safe and secure in the knowledge of the redeeming love of God. In the words of the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Where is our focus? And there is the remarkable story accused of, the, of the woman accused of adultery. John 8, 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisee brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to, to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus and have a basis to accuse him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Now at that point, what do you think most women would do? Run for it, I would have thought. As far from the place as possible. No, she stands there. We are told Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The woman focused on Jesus. And a miracle happened in her life. She received forgiveness. If she turned and run, she would not have received that forgiveness. This is such a wonderful story because it beautifully depicts the wonderful gospel of grace. Mm -hmm. We've looked at a number of stories today about how different people respond to fear. Jesus trusted his father, overcame his fear and was obedient, even to death on the cross. Peter looked at his circumstances, and his trust and faith failed him. Although later on we learn of a very different Peter, and we should always remember that failure can also be turned to good. It can be a powerful way for us to deepen our trust and faith, and a good teaching tool as long as we resist the temptation to feel sorry for ourselves or to get downtrodden and give up. In these moments, we need courage to omit our error, receive forgiveness and carry on. In, with Stephen, we learn of the power and reward possible when we focus totally on Jesus and the promise of salvation. It blunts the present suffering. And from the women 
the woman caught in adultery, we learn that being brave enough to stand before Jesus and acknowledge our sin and shame results in freedom and forgiveness. There's one more story I want to share with you today. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, God separated the Red Sea. The people went through it. They saw it with their own eyes. And God led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Absolute evidence of God being on their side. And yet, when the Lord said to Moses in Numbers 13, Send out some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. The men who spied out the land looked at the size of the inhabitants and reported back that it would be too hard. It was Caleb who said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the people were afraid, and they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Fear stole their destiny. However, within what I'm saying today, I want to be clear when encouraging people not to be fearful that God doesn't ask us to give up common sense and be reckless. So I'm not suggesting here that people should be brave and ignore things like COVID. If you're shielding or being careful, please continue to do so. God calls us to trust him in all things, but he also wants us to use wisdom. That said, fear limits us. And there are so many things we can be afraid of. There are big things, like someone we love dying, financial insecurity, climate change, terrorism, and so on. We can also be afraid of things born out of past experiences or our personality, for example. We can be really worried about what people think of us. We can be worried about getting too involved in something because we don't know how we'll pull out if we don't want to do it anymore. We can be worried about being too busy or tired or committed. Being afraid to speak in public in case we go blank. That's a big one for me. This iPad's my security. We can be afraid of being lonely. Afraid of illness. We can even be afraid of change. Sometimes we don't get involved with something or do something because we think we aren't good enough. Or we tell ourselves we're not the sort of person who can do whatever it is. For example, evangelism. Does anyone here remember Maurice Cirillo? He was an evangelist, and for a couple of years he came to London and did some big evangelistic events, and I went to one of his conferences. The morning was teaching about evangelism and its importance, and then in the afternoon we were put into groups and sent out onto the streets to give out tracts and to invite people to the evening service. Now, I'm going back a lot of years now, and I'd been at home bringing up my children, so my confidence was at rock bottom, and I'm naturally shy. So this was a big shock to me. I had to make a choice. Do I jump on the train and sneak back home? No one would know. 
except God, of course? Or do I choose to go completely outside my comfort zone? It wasn't really a choice, because I knew God was watching. So off I go with this group of strangers to sing Christian songs on the street, talk to strangers, make myself vulnerable. I've no idea how many people went to the evening service as a result of my activity, but I do know that I was totally blessed by the whole experience. And in fact, did a number of evangelistic um, turns after that. Each time I felt truly blessed. But I will never know what seeds I may have planted on those days. But I do know my time wasn't wasted. We should never despise the seeds that we sow, even if we never see the outcome. There are so many things we can be afraid of, but what does God say? He says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Matthew 28 says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We will have fears. It's a human condition. And sometimes that fear is justified. But very often it isn't. Let's be a people who overcome fears. We can do this when we focus on Jesus and trust him wholeheartedly. So now I'm going to go full circle and bring you back to where we started. They will soar on wings like eagles. I'm going to read you the whole passage from Isaiah 40, 31 part of that passage anyway. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow weary, grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When we wait on the Lord and we seek his face, his abiding presence lifts us, encourages us, gives us renewed strength. When we focus our eyes on the Lord and not on our circumstances, we are lifted above them and we can hold on to the promises that God has made us. The key is to seek him, to wait on him and to listen intently for his voice. As we draw close to him, earlier I said, as we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. Actually, he is already close to us. As we draw close to him, we will be more aware of how close he is to us. We too can soar like eagles. We can rise on the currents of the Holy Spirit and God's love and soar in peace and freedom. 
Let's seek God's face. Let's seek his present presence. And let's live our best lives. Lives led by God, blessed by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, guiding us day by day so that we know that we are truly in his presence. It's so easy to get distracted. And it's sometimes very hard to pull that focus back. But it's so important. It is so intrinsically important for us as Christians that before anything else, we seek the face of God. We look for his presence. We cry out to him daily. Bless you all. Thank you.